Now we're at our study on Titus 2. Titus, we're continuing our series on right life that fits right doctrine. Two weeks ago, we studied um, younger women. We took a week off. We took a break with uh, Resurrection Sunday. And we looked at Luke 5. Man, what a great study Luke 5 was. I'll never forget that sermon. Heard from so many of you. You were blessed just by Scott's miraculous work on that man and grace given to him, same grace given to us, and I impact what is to all of us. Tremendous study. We're back on Titus 2. I remember last time we studied Titus 2. It was a very, very interesting sermon. It caused a lot of discussion, a lot of dialogue. Um, because, and it wasn't because of spam, right? It wasn't because of that spam illustration. There was more talk about spam in the past two weeks and more eating of spam than in the past several years. No, it was the issue about the other S word, submission. And particularly my statement that a husband, and I'll say this, and if I'm wrong, I'll repent later and I'll, you know, correct myself again. I'm known to do that, but I believe a husband must never say, submit to me. Forbidden words. Husband, and I talk with the elders, with Bob and Marcus, they agree. Never should a husband ever say to their wife, submit to me. It's pretty much saying obey. It's pretty much saying, right, just just obey me. And that was quite controversial. I thought that's how all husbands practiced their leadership. And um, the talk was like, James, you, you guys are just different. You and Serene, you know, by God's grace, for 10 years, those words never uttered. You guys are just different. The norm is husbands do, and, and they're allowed to say that. Well, it's quite controversial. I want to defend that even more. But it would cause me to give two separate sermons to younger women and younger men. So I don't want to do that. So next week during communion, after we take the cup of Christ, and as we take the bread, and we're all like encouraged by the cross of Christ, we'll tackle that issue briefly as a church matter. So table that thought, consider that, mull upon that. You know, if, if you're married, talk to your wife, talk to your husband about this issue, and we'll address it further next week. But for today, we're going to look at now younger men. Titus 2, 6 and 7. If you have your Bibles open, open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Please stand with me. And we'll actually read uh, verses 1 through 8. Verses 1 through 8. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And today's sermon is on verse 6. Likewise, Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say 
about us. Okay, you may be seated. So, I want to begin our time by describing our the younger men of Cornerstone Bible Church. I, honestly, I, it's a clear, honest, and put a big mirror right up here in the front of the pulpit. And let's all take a look at ourselves and look at the younger men of our church. And I just want to be very honest with you, share from you what is in my heart, and begin by talking to you about the younger men that are in our church. And, you know, I do that age category thing. I don't know why I did that, but I'll say if you're under, like, 50 years old, you're considered a younger man. <laughs> that includes everybody. 60 years old. But it's, especially if you're, like, 30 and under, directly applies to you, but it applies to all men, okay? Um, I would say, if someone were to come and say, James, tell me about the younger men of Cornerstone, I would say, first of all, our men are humble. We have humble men that are humble young men. They don't have a chip on their shoulders. I can, I don't know, I, I can just see a chip on a, sh- a guy's shoulder a mile away. Maybe because I have one or I had one or mine's shrinking, hopefully, but I used to have one. So when other guys have it, I see it a mile away. When, I, when they don't have it, I see it a mile away. And when I look at the younger men of Cornerstone, by and large, I would say like 93% of you, right? <laughs> 7% maybe, but 93%, right? You don't walk with a swagger. You don't walk with your head held up high. You don't strut. You don't walk around saying, God's gift to the to cornerstone. I'm a God's gift to women. You know, I'm God's gift, period. You know, I don't see our younger men walking around like that. Arrogant, cocky. These aren't objectives that we would use to describe our younger men. They're not here at our church to show off. They're not self-centered in that way. They're not so... The vortex of self-centeredness. They're not caught in that vortex where everything revolves around them. We see that in the pra- in practically in, in, in their lives, um, in ministry, like set up, set up ministry, or even like serving ministry, publishing ministry. We have so many guys that get up early behind the scene and just serve. Serve and serve and serve and serve and serve. Even um, like weddings. We need people to come up and set up equipment. These guys come and set up and serve and serve. My dad passed away. We needed guys. Last minute notice to serve and set up all these things. Guys came behind the scenes, lugging things, serving, serving, serving. I mean, I just see that in our, in our young men. Um, they're humble. They're submissive. They, um, have, they respect older men. They listen uh, fairly well, mostly well, listen fairly well. Um, you know, just, just good guys, by and large. I would say our younger men are committed. They are faithful believers. They're committed to Christ and committed to church. You see that by their faithfulness to Bible studies, faithfulness to prayer meetings, ministry, um, whatever we ask them. They diligently strive to serve. Even our OC team, we have... For summer missions, over 90 people have signed up for to serve in various ministries in the summer, whether Mexico, OC, Czech Republic, over 90. And it's not like 85 women and five guys. 
right? which is kind of common in some churches right now. But it's, I'll say 50-50, maybe 55-45 percentage-wise, men wanting to serve Christ. Um, we have our younger men are seeking wisdom. Right? That's a sign of humility, right? They want to grow. I don't judge a guy by what he is. I don't. I judge a guy by what he wants to be. And you talk to our younger men and ask them, do you want to be godly? And they say, yes, I want to be godly. I know I'm not, right? I want to be mature. I have a long way to go, but I want to be. I want to be more in prayer, more humble. I want to be more of a servant. So we see these men, they're seeking wisdom. So I would say a great majority, 93% of our men want to be godly, right? We, we speak to them, we put small mirrors and kind of correct and scrutinize and admonish. And I would say, again, percentages, 99% of the time. I can't remember the last time a guy like brushed me off. Guy got defensive and angry and you know anything like that. As long as I can remember, guys have always been, thank you, James. No, I appreciate that. I know you care for me. I know those are areas I need to grow in. You know, anything else? Any, any other concerns? Like, tell me more. That's been the general response, overwhelming response of our younger men when we have come to them with concerns. Right. I look at them, and I, I honestly, they're far ahead of me when I was their age. Right, you guys look at me, and I'm 37 years old, Right? I'm not 32, like I said several months ago. I'm 37 years old. My, my wife turned 32. I was like, that was in my mind. I was like, 37. So you guys think, wow, 37, you know, James is, you know, whatever. But like when I was 27, I was nowhere close to some of these guys. Most of these guys in their 27. When I was 23, man, you know, I've, I've made my parents cry so much because of my rebelliousness. Right. Not only that, I made my church leaders cry in front of me. Right. I mean, I've done and said things. My Bible study leaders, at least twice, he broke out in tears because I was such a such a punk. Man, I was so like unruly, so rebellious. You know, I had, I was such a you know I walked with a swagger. I was just arrogant. I heard him like, to his face said things that were just so inappropriate. Now I look back and I'm just full of shame, full of embarrassment. And I compare myself to you guys. Man, you guys are way ahead of me. By the time you're 37, I mean, you'll be that much ahead of me when I'm 37. The only thing I have is I'm just older. I have more years. I've made more mistakes. I've failed more times. And therefore, I've learned more. That's all it is. It's nothing like special that, that the elders or pastors of Cornerstone have over against you. Well, that is um, cornerstone. But what is the current condition of younger men in the world? What is it like in the world? We need to, we need to look at that because um, we are influenced by the world. We would love to maybe, you know, pull up our stakes and move to maybe Ghana, <laughs> move to an African country and you know, be an Amish community where we're surrounded by, you know, animals. like monkeys or giraffes, elephants, and not by secular culture. And we're not influenced, but that's not the case, and we're not going to do that. That's not 
<laughs> not right. Um, just in case you're, you think I'm getting ideas. No, we're in, we're in the world, and we're in Orange County, California, 30 minutes away from Hollywood. And we're just directly influenced by secular culture and by, as men, secular men. And men in our age category, younger men, or especially for you, younger men. So what's the con- current condition of younger men in the world? I think you would agree that our world is filled with young men who have the mind and heart and character of little boys. Men who are willing and active victims of arrested development. Their lifestyle of ex- li- they have a lifestyle of extended and permanent adolescence. They still think like 12-year-olds. They still act like they're 13. And they behave. Their mindset is of not even a teenager, pre-teen boys. That's the current culture. They, they're loafers. They're comfortable with being dependent on others. They're comfortable being dependent on parents for, for life, for expenses. I mean, they're, and you get allowance when you're 13, okay, 15. But maybe by 15 or 16, you're saying, Dad, Mom, I'm going to do a paper route. I'm going to go cut some grass. I'm going to recycle cans. I am a, I'm a, I'm a man, right? Like Elizabeth, when she was four years old, I tried to help her tie her shoelaces, and she got a little angry at me. So, of course, you know, a little discipline, right? But, you know, right? I'm trying to help you. But why did she get angry? Because she said, Dad, I'm four years old. I want to tie my own shoelaces. Right? You're cutting into my dignity as a woman. Right? And when you tie me, you tie them too tight. So I'm going to do my own shoelaces. And I'm like, well, I can respect that. You're four. Right? So for a man, too, you're 15, 16. Mom and Dad, I don't want your money that you work for. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man. I'm going to work and, you know, have exercise dominion as a, as a, as a man and be productive and, and pay my, you know, own, own way for my own little, I don't know, baseball cards or whatever. I don't know. If I go to a movie, I'm going to pay for my own popcorn, right? You pay, buy my own shoes, right? But the current climate is guys are, in their 20s and 30s and 40s, and they're, in a way, getting allowance. Like their parents still pay for their cell phone bills. Their parents still pay for their insurance. And they don't directly go to mom and dad and, you know, get $10. But, like, indirect ways, they're living off others, whether it be parents or relatives or friends or just young men, just unreliable. They're not men of their word. They don't understand. That's what integrity is, right? Like disintegrate as you fall apart. And integrity is you, you hold things together. And so a man holds his life together by his word. Right? He's got it all. He's got his act together. And he's responsible. So when he says something, you know he's reliable. He will be faithful and he will keep it. Right? Like young men today, one of their major fears in life is boredom. Right? They're petrified. They're scared of being bored. So their life pursuit is entertainment, pleasure, and distraction. And they have this phobia for and so on and so on. But it's not a modern phenomenon. Not at all. 
I think it's been pervasive throughout history. I think the only thing different is it's more accepted now. Right? It's more accepted. But it's been this way ever since that guy named Cain. Remember him? Right? Ever since the first you know, boy was born. It's the first son, right? Cain. Uh, this kind of mindset has continued. Um, let me just quote to you J.C. Ryle um, from his book, Thoughts for Young Men. I'm going to quote a lot. There are rules for sermons. And one rule is don't read too many quotations, right? And so I break that rule all the time. <laughs> because my mindset is, you know, I don't have a lot of original thoughts. I really don't. I, I, I sit down to think. Nothing really comes to me. <laughs> Just like desire for food or dark chocolate. That's about it. So I don't have like many original thoughts. So what I do is I read and I read these writers and man, like their thoughts are so great. So what do I want to do? Like, you know, preach their thoughts or my thoughts? I don't have any thoughts. So I'd rather preach their thoughts. And who would I rather listen to? J.C. Ryle or James Shin? Of course J.C. Ryle. And who would I want, like, our church people to listen to? J.C. Ryle. So that is why I'm reading. It's not, you know, that is why. Right? He's worthy of our attention. It might, so hopefully I don't lose you in reading, but it is, I, 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 these are choice quotes. I'm not just filling time. Right? I got 30 more minutes, so how do I crowd in time? No, they're choice quotes worthy of our attention, and that is why I'm reading them. So J.C. Ryle begins his book by saying, Thoughts for Young Men. Ask any pastor of any church, ask him, who are the most negligent about coming to church? Who are the most irregular in attending Bible studies and prayer meetings? Who are the ones that sit at the back of the church, they come late and leave early? Who are the ones that are most inattentive to preaching at all times? Very rare for a woman to fall asleep during sermons. Now, moms sometimes fall asleep in sermons, and you have every right to. Moms out there, you want to sleep? I give you special allowance, <laughs> special dispensation, because you have young children, you're staying up till 3, 4, 5 in the morning, your husband is sleeping, you're awake, so you come to church, you're tired, and James is not doing well, you want to catch some you know, sleep? By all means, go for, you want to lay down? Go ahead as well. <laughs> Bring some pillows out for the ushers. But women rarely fall asleep. But men, my goodness, if I don't tell jokes, they're just, they're gone. They're <laughs> dropping like flies. That's the younger men. Which part of his congregation fills him with most anxiety and heartache? Who in his flock are the hardest to manage, require the most frequent warnings and rebukes? Who occasion in him the greatest fear for their souls and seem most hopeless? Depend on it, men, especially young men. Ask the parents throughout this country and see what they will generally say. Who in their families give them most pain and trouble? Who need the most watchfulness and most often disturb and disappoint them? Who are the first to be led away from what is right and the last to remember a good counsel? Who are the ones who most frequently break out into open sin and disgrace the family's name? Who are the ones that waste time, health, and money in selfish pursuit of pleasure? Who are the ones who follow no particular profession? 
and they fritter away the most precious years of their lives in doing nothing depend on it men, especially younger men. And you see this in the college, uh, you know, universities today. Like, I think women are just blown away the men in terms of academic performance. Like, women are graduating in like 3.5 years. And it's the men. You see that 2020 report? It was a guy has been in school for 20 years. The blonde guy is going to school, part of eternity. And he, he, wasn't, he, he never wants to graduate. He wants to be in college forever. Right? You see guys in school, super duper, extra duper seniors. Right? And just loafing away with no pursuit in life. No intensity, no passion. And the women are like graduating and starting work and pursuing life. Ask the judges and police officers, who are the ones who frequent the bars and clubs the most? Who make up riotous mobs and rebellious meetings? Who are the most arrested for drunkenness, disturbing the peace, fighting, stealing, assault, and the like? Who fills the jails and prisons? Depend on it, the men. The men. So that's men of this world. Undoubtedly, though, we're affected, influenced, and potential for us to conform to the world rather than being transformed by the renewal of our minds by the Holy Scriptures. So we want to look at the younger men of our church. Younger men. And before we get to Paul's exhortations to younger men, we want to look at the many dangers, many pitfalls that line the path of younger men. I know these dangers very well, these pitfalls. You know, I look back on my life. You know, Marcus and I had this talk maybe a year ago. We look back and, you know, it's by, by the grace of God we are where we are. Like these pitfalls, we avoided them not because we were godly or we were wise, but it's because of God's, God's help, by God's grace. Many times, because of our sinfulness, we ran towards these dangers these pitfalls. We ran to them like they were oasis in the desert. But by God's grace, He held us back. He blocked our path and He saved us. Not by works. These are the dangers that lie in wait for younger men. And if it's up to these younger men, they have no hope. We need to pray for our younger men that God would spare them, God would save them from these dangers. That are, that are so many. Go back to Ryle. James is over. Ryle's back. The profitable sermon is back. Um, the first danger that lie in wait for young men, younger men, is the danger of pride. Danger of pride. Every age has unique temptations. Pride is the most significant for younger men. Pride is the oldest sin in the world. Indeed, it was before the world. Satan and his angels fell by pride. They were discontent of their lot in life. Pride threw Adam out of paradise. He was not content with Eden. Pride sits in all our hearts by nature. We are born proud. But pride never reigns anywhere so powerfully as in the heart of a young man. 
pride most powerfully reigns in the heart of a young man. How common it is to see young men with big heads, high-minded, and impatient of any counsel. How often are young men rude and uncourteous to all around them? How often will they not stop to listen from an older person? How they think they know everything. You know, they're 20 years old. They got it all figured it out. You know, they know everything about life. Right. They are full of conceit of their own wisdom. They think elderly people, especially their parents, are stupid, dull, and slow. They want no teaching or instruction to themselves. They understand all things. And if you speak to them, their response is anger. Two things are said to be rare sights in the world. Two things are rare sights. One is a humble young man. The other is an old man who is content. He exhorts younger men, do not be proud of your own abilities, your own strength, your own knowledge, your own appearance, your own cleverness. Do not be proud of yourself, your endowments of any kind. It all comes from you not knowing the world. Right? all it is I understand this I thought I was a good preacher when I was young I compared myself to Reverend Kim right he couldn't speak English so I was a much better preacher than he and then I just didn't know and I go in the world and I listen to MacArthur and Sproul and Piper and all these men and I realized oh man how, how foolish how utterly prideful I was all because I just didn't know Well, likewise with you, anything you boast of, that boast is there because you just don't know. You just don't know the world. See, the older you grow, Ra continues, the more you see and the less reason you will find for being proud. Ignorance and inexperience are the pedestal of pride. Ignorance and inexperience are the pedestal of pride. Once that pedestal is removed, pride will soon come down. Remember how often Scripture says, Romans 12.3, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. 1 Corinthians 8.2 The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. If you think I know something, that means you don't know. How strict is the command? 1 Peter by five, clothe yourselves with humility. This is the garment of which many seem not to have so much as a rag. Young man, do not be confident in your own judgment. Stop being so sure that you are always right and others always wrong. Don't trust your own opinion when, it, when you find it contrary to that of older men, especially to that of your parents. If your opinion goes against your parents, Don't trust your own opinions. Age gives experience and therefore deserves respect. Humility and silence are beautiful graces in young people. Never be ashamed of being a learner. Even Jesus, Luke 2, sat down and listened to the teachers in the temple. The wisest men would tell you that they are always learners and are humble to find after all how little they know. The first danger is pride. 
Young men, avoid it at all costs. Another danger is the love of pleasure. Second danger. All things that give a feeling of excitement for the time. All things that drown thought and keep the mind in a constant whirl. All things that please the senses and delight the flesh. These are the sort of things that have mighty power at your time of life. And they owe their power to their love of pleasure. Be on your guard. Do not be like those of whom Paul speaks. 2 Timothy 3.4 Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They are against, set, us, set against each other. Are you going to love God or love pleasure? It's one or the other. Remember, if you would cling to earthly pleasures, these are the things which murder souls. Pleasure wants to murder your soul. There is no sure way to get a seared conscience and a hard heart towards the things of God than to give way to the desires of the flesh and mind. It seems like it's nothing at first, but in the long run, it is death. 1 Peter 2.11 Abstain from sinful desires. These desires, they wage war. And war is about control. So what are these desires? What, what do they want to control? These desires, they want to control our hearts. They want ruling authority over our hearts. And if we don't abstain from pleasures, even neutral pleasures, even good pleasures, it will take root and it will take control over our hearts and it will dethrone Christ. And what will rule over us is what we want rather than what Christ wants for us. That is why Paul said in Colossians 3, 4, put to death these sinful lusts. Galatians 5, 24, remember that Christ has crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desire. Write the word, Raoul says, Write the word poison on all earthly pleasures. Write the word poison. Third danger is thoughtlessness. Thoughtlessness. Man, Raul knows men, right? He knows knows guys. So what is our danger? Not thinking. We don't like to think. That's why, you know, like my wife and I, you know, when we used to date, she'd rather go to dinner and talk. I'd rather go see a movie. When I see a movie, I don't have to think. When I talk, I have to think. Right? My default is thoughtlessness. My default is like, when I watch Lakers, no thinking involved. Like, yes or no, right? That's, 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 that's how men are. Thoughtlessness. Ralph says, young man, your soul is in grave danger. You know little of the perils around you and you are so careless on how you walk. You hate the trouble of serious, quiet thinking and so you make wrong decision after wrong decision and bring upon yourself with much sorrow. And I do this in counseling men. Like, what were you doing? What were you thinking? Wrong question. It's obvious he wasn't thinking. Why did you do this? Why did you say that? Why did you buy? What are you doing? 
And like, I wasn't thinking. Man, how could I do this? That was a big mistake, wasn't it? Yes, it was. All because of thoughtlessness. Satan whispers to you, don't think. Don't think. Right? Just do it. Be impulsive. Right? Act out of passion. Right? You know, go on your desires. Go on what you believe. Don't think about it. The Bible says, consider your ways. Consider and be wise. Just as men marry in a rush and then are miserable with their mate, so they make mistakes about their souls in a minute and then suffer for it for years. Just as a bad servant does wrong and then says, I never give it a thought, so young men run into sin and they say, Oh, I did not think. Sin will not come to you saying, I am sin. Sin will always seem good, pleasant, and desirable. Therefore, you need wisdom. You need discretion. I I know it's lengthy, but just go hold. Listen to this. Some, I dare say, will object and say that what I'm asking is unreasonable, that youth is not the time of life to be thoughtful and grave. We should be abounding in foolish talking and joking and kidding. But that's not what the Bible says. The wisest of men said in Ecclesiastes 7.24, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. So it's good to go to funerals. So it causes you to pause and see our mortality and number our days rightly and live lives live our lives backwards. Right. It was so good for me to be in my the hospital bed with my dad in his deathbed and talk to him. For him to say to me, James, life is short. Man, it was good for me. Right. It wakes me up in my thoughtlessness. That's right, I'm not gonna be alive forever. Right? Elizabeth won't be four forever. Cornerstone Bible Church will not be this way forever. Life is short. We're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I must consider my ways. Fourth thought is contempt of Christianity. Fourth danger is contempt of Christianity. This also is one of your special dangers. I always observe that none pay so little outward respect to Christianity as young men. None take so little part in our services. When they are present at them, they use Bible so little, sing so little, listen to preaching so little. None are so absent generally at prayer meetings, Bible studies, and all other weekday helps the soul. Young men think they do not need these things. They think Christianity is for old women and for little girls, but not for men. Contempt of holy things is the straight road to hell. Once a man begins to make a joke of any part of Christianity, 
then I am never surprised to hear that he has turned out to be an unbeliever. Never laugh at Christianity. Never make a joke of sacred things. Never mock those who are serious and earnest about their souls. The time may come when you will count those happy whom you laughed at. A time when your laughter will be turned to sorrow and your mockery into seriousness. And the final danger is the fear of man's opinions. Final danger of young men is they fear the opinion of others. Proverbs 29:25. The fear of man proves to be a snare, proves to be slavery. It is terrible to observe the power which this has over most minds, and especially the minds of the young. Few young men seem to have any personal convictions. They are like dead fish. They go with the stream and tide. What others think is right, they think is right. And what others call wrong, they call wrong too. They think, what will my friends say or think of me? The fear of being looked at, laughed at, ridiculed, prevents many a good habit from being taken up. There will be Bibles that will be read this day if young men said, I am not afraid. There are young men who will be in prayer this day if they had no fear of man. It's just like 1 Samuel 15.24. King Saul disobeyed God because he was afraid of the opinion of his soldiers. Herod was afraid of what his guests would think. He beheaded John the Baptist. Pilate was afraid of the Jews, the Jewish leaders, so he murdered Christ. Young men, I want you all to be free from this bondage. I want each of you, Rao says, to care nothing about man's opinions. Learn to say no and not give in to them. Consider how thankless is this fear. No one will really think you better for it. The world always respects the most those who act boldly for God. Break these bonds. Cast these chains from you. Never be ashamed of letting men see that you want to go to heaven. Do not think that it's a disgrace to show that you are a servant of God. Never be afraid of doing what is right. Young men, be of good courage. Don't worry what the world says or thinks. You will not always be with the world. Can man save your soul? No. Will man be the judge and the great and the great and dreadful day of judgment? No. Can a man give you a good conscience in this life, a good hope in death, a good answer in the morning of resurrection? The answer is no, no, no. Rao warns, and I agree, take these dangers to heart. They are worth thinking about. Young men, you are surrounded by these dangers. These dangers are not years away. They're not far off in a distance. It's not you have to peer out the horizon to see these dangers. Do you see that these dangers are all around you? They encircle you. 
They're like a lion. They wanted to devour you. And one wrong step, ensnare you, gobble you up, and you are lost. If you've been at Cornerstone a while, you know, men godlier than you have been ensnared by these dangers, have fallen into these pitfalls, right? I mean, let's say you have not been in Cornerstone. You must know men in your own life, maybe in your own family, or your friends, or others. That guy was godlier than me. He knew the scriptures better. He prayed more. He was wiser. He was more humble. And they've fallen into these dangers. And they're lost. Gone astray. Maybe consider these warnings and know that we're surrounded by them. Take heed to these warnings. And then we will not fall astray. We will not give in. So, we've looked at the current condition of young men, cornerstone current condition of young men in in our world today, in our culture. We've looked at these five dangers that lie in the path of young young men, younger men. Let's look at the third. See the call to church leaders. Titus 2, verse 6. The first two is the backdrop. It's the context. In light of this, in light of who we are, in light of what the world is like, in light of the dangers that lie in wait, younger men, here is Paul's instructions about younger men. Verse 6, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, to be sober-minded. And you know what you notice here? You young guys, uh, today's sermon is not about you. Or at least from this point on, it's not about you. Look at this look, look at this sermon, or look at this verse. And the command is not directed to younger men. Who is the, ser- the verse directed towards? Okay, anyone? Titus, right? Titus. So this, from this part on, Paul is speaking to Titus, and therefore God's word is speaking to the leaders, the male leaders of our church. He's commanding us. This sermon is for us. So for the pastors, elders, flock shepherds, ministry leaders, small group leaders, older men of our church, it's up to us. The stewardship, the custodianship, the responsibility of younger men, it's up to us. He's speaking to us. He's commanding to us. This command entails five uh, how do I explain this? All right. Uh, five applications. All right. Five um, insights, five descriptions of this command. Five Ps right. concerning our responsibility to younger men. Five responsibilities. All right. Five Ps. First P is priority. It must be the priority for the church leaders. Verse 6, likewise, urge younger men. Paul commands Titus to give himself to the ministry of younger men. Do not neglect the ministry of younger men. Do not overlook them. He points them out. He separates them and he 
puts them right at the foot of Titus, right at the feet of Titus. And he calls him and he tells him it's a vital ministry, ministry that, that requires urgency, that these are the future leaders of the church, future pastors, future husbands, future fathers. So if the young men aren't cared for, then the future church will fall. These young men aren't built up, aren't strengthened, and future families are at stake. We can't just go through the motions of ministry and hope that godly men will emerge. We need to see this as a priority as leaders of the church. Secondly, it's a pleading ministry, a petitioning ministry. Paul tells Titus to urge the younger men, not command them. It's not enough. Not to instruct them. Guys, all flock shepherds here, you know, we got to do older men. You know, you have to, you have to beg younger men right, for their own sake, right, for the glory of God. Anything, use anything and everything that will work. Right, for the cross, for their own lives, for, your own, for the health of the leadership, right, for my sanity, please. You have to beg them to obey Christ, to follow Christ. The word is parakaleo. It means to come alongside and exhort and encourage a, a, a word that is familiar in the New Testament. It's not a rattling off a list of commands to be obey, obeyed, but it's appealing. It's begging man to obey. The mindset of a personal coach, a personal trainer coming alongside. Come on, brother. We can't do it from a distance. We can't just hands-off approach. We have to come alongside them and personally implore upon them to do these things. Thirdly, it's a presence ministry. Presence. You have to be incarnate. Christ have to come to earth and and, uh, be the radiance of God's glory. He had to tabernacle among us and show us God Himself. Show us God's holiness and God's love. God's holiness by His perfect obedience, God's love by touching the lepers, eating with tax collectors, dining and drinking with sinners. Likewise, flock leaders, small group leaders, we have to personally invest our lives, younger men. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3.7, you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We live with you, share with you, not just the gospel, but our lives as well. 2 Timothy 3.14, as for you, continue in what you have learned. Paul modeled Christianity to Timothy. He modeled to him true faith, true love for Christ. Timothy saw Paul's life and he saw faith instead of his hypocrisy. He saw integrity and consistency and authentic faith lived out. He saw it himself because Paul knew that's what Timothy needed. As a younger man, he needed to see it for himself. And we need to understand Older men of our church, 
you know that the eyes of younger men are upon you. Younger men, they observe and examine our every attitude, every behavior, every decision. They imitate and follow our every move. And so, we are their custodians. We are responsible. We are stewards. God will use men, older men, to impact younger men. So, we need to start with our sons. I start in our own family. We can't care for the church if we can't care for our own sons. That's a joke, right? You want to disciple men in the church, but you can't even disciple a 10-year-old, a 5-year-old, a 1-year-old. It's got to begin at home with our own sons. And then the church. Right? And then the church. Younger men need men of God to show them how to be a man, how to be a godly man. Let me just give you a few examples of how to do this. Um, so some, we've said so much about this already in, over the past eight years at Cornerstone. Let me just add to it by adding these few things. Um, a few examples of how model failing and confessing. Right? Model failure and confession. If you show yourself to younger man like a man who's got it all together, makes no mistakes, never fails, and you live up here, it'll just discourage younger man. It'll just isolate him and make him feel guilty and want, he won't be vulnerable and he'll just close up in himself. And you're lying, right? You don't have it together. I know you guys, right? That's a joke. Come on, right? right? If anything, we don't have it together. Right? Model failing, share your failures, and model confessing sin. Right? A few weeks ago, we were playing ball, and you know I hadn't played ball in a while. And it was that week where all these East Bay guys came, right? And they, you know, they challenged Cornerstone on our home court. Right? <laughs> they want to come to Southern California, our home court, and they want to play us five on five. And they think they can win. Right? I'm 37. My heart is 17. Right? So I'm like out there on the court, and I'm like going crazy. I'm playing like all out. And you know, my pride, my desire for competition, my idolatry to win. And I love winning, and I hate losing. Right? I, mean, I just I hate losing. So I was getting a little out of control. Bob said, James, I haven't seen you like that in a long time. So I, you know, so I got angry and I got yelled at people and was going to a fight. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I got angry, right? So I went home and I'm like confessing to Saran. Oh, Saran, you know, man, I'm still like, you know, a sinner. And she's like, oh, James, you know, that's who you are, right? <laughs> So what do I do? You know, I, I write these emails, right? I write two brothers at our church. Oh, forgive me. You know, I confess my sin, right? That's who I am, right? So they, so one guy was older in our church. One new guy, the older guy who's been in our church for a while. He's like, oh, James, that's who you are. No, no problem. Forgiven, right? New guy's like, wow, like, you know, thank you for confessing. Thank you for your humility. Thank you for, you know, yeah, you did sin, James, you know. And, <laughs> Thank you for, and I, full forgiveness, you know, it's all good, brother, 
Right? That's good. Right? Another way is um, you know, be friends to these men. Right? Be friends. Right? Key to men on men ministry is friendship. It has to be informal, it has to be out of flock context, Sunday worship context. It has to be like heart to heart. There's two guys hanging out. Right? And that's my philosophy of ministry. And by God's grace, it, you know, like Marcus is telling, uh, you know, one of the brothers here, like considers him his friend. Right? They're years apart, but Marcus is saying, man, he's my friend. I'm his friend. That's exactly like men's ministry. Right? We have to do personal ministry. Right? And um, thirdly, pursue humility together. I mean, we just talked about that throughout the sermon. Pursue humility together. Fourthly, proactive ministry. Proactive ministry. Proactively lead and be ready to follow. Raise these men up with the mindset that I am willing and desiring to follow him one day. So Paul and Barnabas, who was more humble? I would say Barnabas. In the beginning of Acts, it was Barnabas and Paul. At the end of Acts, it's Paul and Barnabas. So Paul just gets saved, and Barnabas is not, oh, you're a little kid, training wheels, you follow me, you're always behind me. No, Barnabas' mindset is Paul. I want to build you up, I want to equip you, train you, teach you, so that one day I follow you. And later on in Acts, it's Paul and Barnabas. One of our flock shepherds was telling me how he wants to raise up his small group leaders, so that one day he's sitting... And listening to them lead. He's being shepherded by them. Man, what a good mindset. What a good heart. Right? Now that's the example we saw at Sovereign Grace. Right? We met a guy named, pastor named Joe. He's 32 years old. And he's pastor of family ministry. So he's shepherding people who are like in their 40s and 50s. And biblical counseling. When he went there five years ago, when he started being a pastor, the pastor over him was executive pastor of Covenant Life. And then, three years later, he was promoted above this pastor. Not because of abilities. You know, he's 50-some years old, godly man. But they want to be proactive. They want to raise up younger men. And so now, this former executive pastor is like two or three tiers below this 32-year-old kid, right? Who's just learning about ministry. And so... Joe goes to Pastor Kevin and says, well, I want to do this in ministry. This couple came to me constantly, I want to do ABCD, what do you think? And Kevin's like, that's crazy, <laughs> don't do that. That's the worst thing you can do. That's a big mistake, don't do ABCD. All right, do it. All right, something else, one, two, three. And so he's learning from this older pastor. And the older pastor is so godly, wants to transition and proactively raise up leaders that he's serving under him. We need to have that mindset, right? I'm 37, maybe by 57, maybe 50, I'm Barnabas, right? I'm learning under other men who have surpassed me in ministry, right? And the final one, final how for older men to minister to younger men, press on towards Christ together. Right? Press on towards Christ together. Second Timothy 1.8. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel 
by the power of God. Together, side by side, let's pursue this gospel together. That's how you do it. Pursue understanding the doctrine of sin and pursue understanding how God, who thrice holy God, every right to condemn us, eternity in hell, to burn forever, to be anathema. We are nature, by nature, the objects of God's wrath. But to understand together this glorious gospel where we receive His love, we are forgiven of all our sins, and we are now sons of, Christ, sons of God with Christ. We are now His children. Now there is no condemnation for us because we are in Christ. Right now we are possessors of eternal life. We are clothed with the garments of Christ. And when God sees us right now, He doesn't see the sins that we committed this week. He only sees the imputed righteousness of His perfect beloved Son. Together, pursue these things with younger men. Let's look 20 years ahead. Who's going to lead Cornerstone Bible Church? Who's going to be the husbands and fathers and the real pace setters of our church? It's the younger men of our church. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's be good to the Cornerstone 20 years from now. Let's, be, let's love them. Let's be good to that church. Let's, be, you know, let's love them by loving and caring the younger men in our church today. Father, we thank you so much for the young men of our church. They are your gifts to us. As we look at what is common in the world today, what is common even in many churches, young men just living their lives, wasting it away, pursuing after foolish and thoughtless things. Lord, you have gifted us, you have blessed us with young men who serve us, who, who labor among us, who are diligent in their lives to pursue your grace and to model that grace to each and every one of us. You have blessed us with these young men who are humble servants, humble believers, and who are seeking all the more humility and holiness. Lord, we thank you. We are are just honored and privileged to be uh, worshiping and being in the same church with these younger men. Oh Lord, uh, would you... Just grant them continued grace that they would humble themselves before your mighty hand. Humble, them, humble themselves so that you might lift them up, that you will be faithful and you will show yourself faithful by exalting them so high that one day they will be my pastors. They'll be my shepherds, our, our leaders for all of us. And we will confidently follow in their footsteps. Lord, we thank you for, for Titus 2 and the Holy Spirit that enables us to understand and apply these truths to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.